I finally gave myself permission to sort of be myself and follow my own heart's desires, what I found out was that I didn't really want to be a pastor. I just thought that was theologically, you know, the only option. And I, I was sort of had this passion for business and investing and trading and that kind of stuff. And the feeling of freedom, it felt like I got saved again to be able to pursue my own heart's desires. And, and that is the simple message that we've been sharing ever since. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, author and speaker, John Garfield. Now, Psalm 37.4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you your heart's desires. And as you can tell from the teaser clip we just played, figuring out your passions and your heartfelt desires is going to be a big focus of our conversation today. We're going to introduce you to John, his story, and begin to touch on his two books, Releasing Kings and Desire to Destiny, Seven Keys to Your Marketplace Ministry. Here now is how my co-host John Ramstead and I got that conversation started. So John, very early on, as we started to plan this show out, I, I met with a local business guy here in Colorado Springs named Terry Tyson. And Terry... I asked him his thoughts and what kind of guests we should have because I was introduced to him through an early guest, Peter Wagner. And so Terry is really a big focus of who we want to reach with this show. And Terry named off a bunch of people. And one of the ones that I'd never heard of was a man by the name of John Garfield. He says, John's blogs are awesome. He loves those. He loves reading those weekly blogs. And so on my way to the Heaven and Business Conference in Redding, California, I called John Garfield and I said, hey, I just want to kind of get to know you a little bit. And as I was driving through Wyoming, we talked for close to an hour as the phone dropped a couple times. And I, I really liked him and I loved what he had to say as I was reading his blog. And so, John, uh, I want to introduce to you John Garfield, our guest today. Thanks. Yeah. And John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for making the time. Glad to be here. This is fun. Well, reading your your books, and I'm I'm excited to get into the books that you've written and your blog post. Uh, love the work that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, we love it too. <laughs> well, as we get started, we love to have people just share their story, let the audience know kind of who you're all about and and what your journey's been so far. So why don't you uh, start with that? I was raised on a ranch in Montana, and. Uh, Got uh, an engineering degree and came out to Kennewick, Washington, and uh, I got saved as a senior in high school. That was in 1970, uh, sort of in the midst of the charismatic heyday. And I came out and got involved in a very prophetic church that believed in planting churches. And uh, so I, I was just swimming in that. It was just wonderful. Um, it was uh, the worship, the prophetic, the 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 Bible basis. Uh, there was a church planting church. They had planted about a 10 other churches. So I, I had this uh, sort of ingrained in me. I, I was big on Peter Wagner's church growth conferences and got a Bible college degree and wrote a paper on uh, baby boomer church planting. And so in 1990, we started a church after being in, uh, in that church for 16 years. And, um, so we plant. We eventually planted two churches over a 13-year period. I was bivocational the whole time as an engineer, and uh, in about 2001 or so, why the guy that led me to the Lord, uh, 
gave me a book called, uh, or a tape by Rich Marshall, who eventually wrote God at Work. And uh, so as I began to, uh, you know, just pursue this marketplace ministry thing, funny thing happened in the, the church, you know, there were there was uh, we had an aisle in the middle of the church, <laughs> and uh, as the more I shared on this stuff, I, I kind of couldn't get away from it. The people on the left side of the church kind of wanted to know, you know, they were planting new or starting new businesses, jumping all over the messages, and the and the people on the right hand side kind of wanted to know when we were going to move on to the next emphasis. And uh, kind of what happened to me was that. Um, we, I wrote Releasing Kings kind of out of those messages. And uh, one of the things that happened was um, just the realization that as Christians, God invites us to pursue the desires of our heart. I, I was raised um, on, on a, you know, it was not an unhealthy church. Don't get me wrong. It was a healthy church. Uh, but we were real strong on, uh, you know, total human depravity, which is in essence you know, a doctrine that believes that our hearts are evil and desperately wicked. And, um, you know, we quote all those half a dozen verses sort of out of context that, uh, and, and we convince ourselves that we can't trust our hearts. And uh, the biggest light that tripped for me was that God does wire our hearts in a certain direction. And, and what happened was uh, I just developed an appetite for business and, and ran out of gas for being a pastor. And so when I finally, and, and the reason I was a pastor was very simple. You know, if the kingdom and the church are the same thing, and God is planting churches to uh, build his kingdom, and that's Peter Wagner used to say, you know, the greatest, most effective way to make new disciples is to plant churches. I believe that. So I just said, well, if God, if that's what we're doing, I'm a, I'll be a pastor and I want to plant a whole bunch of churches. Because, you know, what else are we doing? So I, I did that, and when I finally gave myself permission to sort of be myself and follow my own heart's desires, what I found out was that uh, I didn't really want to be a pastor. I just thought that was theologically, you know, the only option. And I, I was sort of had this passion for business and investing and trading and that kind of stuff. So it it's... You know, there was about a two or three year period there where my theology felt like those global warming videos where the glaciers are cracking off into the bay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and the feeling of freedom, it felt like I got saved again to be able to pursue my own heart's desires and realize that, you know, God's favor was on that, He that he wasn't, you know, second guessing my heart, that, that he was the one that wired me that way to finally come together as a person uh, and 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 to no longer be trying to force myself to be something that I really wasn't at a, at a core level was a huge transition. And and that is the simple message that we've been sharing ever, ever since. You know, John, when you were trying to force yourself to be something different, what were you trying to accomplish through that? And what are you finding yourself able to accomplish now that you're in this freer place? I was trying to build the kingdom. I was just trying to please the Lord. You know, I just thought that, uh, you know, obedience was a big part of the gospel for me. Uh, uh, still is. You know, I, I'm not opposed to the concept of obeying God. However, when we reach a certain phase in our spiritual maturity, it's it's not so much about obedience as about 
sort of being on the same page of, as God and doing what our Father wants to do in the first place, that our hearts are on the same page and we're working with our Father, not just trying to obey Him as a servant. It's a huge difference. One is religion. The other one is a relationship with Jesus. So why do you think being on the same page as God uh, just seems to be counter to the, a lot of our thinking when we think about ministry or being a church or being in a pastor that, you know, those, these are two different tracks and they're not very compatible, seems to be some of the common thought out there. It, that, that's the theological paradigm in the church, has been for, for uh, decades, if not centuries. So what um, do you share with, you know, when you're out teaching and it's in your books and we'll definitely get more into what you've written in the books, but what is the... Uh, no, when you're out teaching that to people in business, what, what is really resonating with them? The realization that, that God accepts them and the desires that he's written in their hearts the way they are. Re- religion is an invitation to be something you're not. And Christianity at its core is an invitation to be who God created you to be, to be yourself. That's a night and day difference that uh, many Christians honestly don't get. Uh, just just going to church doesn't uh, automatically, you know, get you on that page. In fact, let me say it this way, it, it usually doesn't. <laughs> I, I, it's not, I'm not in the business of being anti-church. I, I work with a lot of pastors, and many of our conferences are in church settings. But the, the, uh, the pattern theologically is, you know, our, our evangelical or charismatic, our tradition is human depravity. That's our emphasis. And our cure is obedience. And and the byproduct of that is we're, we pull people away from being themselves in, in a religious sense. They're saved and going to heaven. I mean, don't get me wrong. Worship is good. People do are blessed for obeying God. It's just that that, that recipe doesn't necessarily get you in the kingdom. It'll get you in heaven and it'll get you in church, but it won't get you in the freedom that comes from really pursuing the desires of God because you don't, you don't give yourself permission to do that. That's the, this tragic thing. And you ask about what, you know, what happens in the conferences. It's honestly saved or unsaved. People have never heard this message for the most part. And when you stand up there and tell people that God is smart enough and wise enough to wire you to naturally d- pursue his desires, you know, when you reach a certain level of maturity, it's like waves of inner healing go across the room. And, and you can see people being set free uh, in, in a very much an inner healing sense. I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but it's just the, the idea of people you know, connecting with themselves uh, for the very first time. And, and that allows them to connect with a father in a, in a very healthy way. So it, it's an amazing phenomenon. <laughs> People fall in love with you. They think you're a genius when you share that. <laughs> What are some of the roadblocks that you see working with people? Because they have these filters that are running in their head as they're, you know, writing down their passions and their values. And they're running everything through, you know, uh, does that sound carnal or egotistical? Or is that, would it be okay to 
talk sure. about this passion to my friends at the my Bible study. And all of a sudden, we, we put these things low on our priority list. Now, people that aren't believers don't have this problem. They just start writing out their dreams and their goals and their aspirations, and they don't put limits on it. And sometimes I found that they're, they're even more effective because of that. So how do, exactly. how, do we, how do we pull those two together? Honoring God, pleasing the Lord, but also tapping into our passions. Just, you know, to, to give ourselves permission to knock on that door. I'm not saying, you know, uh, we have to discern the desires of our heart. I'm not saying to be stupid about it. I'm just saying that it's not that hard to discern what is in the Father's heart and what is not. And, and um, you know, at, at, a, at the core, we can find where our heart's desire overlaps with the Father's heart's desire and it's not that hard, okay? And, you know, speaking of obstacles, I mean, one of them is just uh, giving yourself permission to do that. I mean, we, we, are, we have 10 centuries of human depravity and, and religion to overcome. That, that is not a, you know, the, the ship does not turn <laughs> on a dime. Um, that's, a, that's a theological shift, and we tried to capture that in releasing kings. It's no small thing. Okay. So I'm, I'm not minimizing it at all. It's a, it's a huge shift. Uh, on the, on the other hand, it's as easy as giving yourself permission and, and starting to, uh, to look into our own hearts. Right. You know, and, and the other thing that is a little bit surprising is just being that transparent is something that's sort of out of the norm for most Christians. You know, if we talk about the the depths of our heart's desires, most of us have had, you know, at least one bad experience with, uh, you know, discipleship or mentoring or something like that. Um, maybe not even in a Christian circle. Might have been with parents or teachers or some kind of an authority figure, a boss, where, you know, we've shared something personal and it kind of backfired. So culturally, as Christians... You know, we're not Trump prone to be particularly transparent. You know, you would think we would be, but we're really not. So I notice that when, you know, I talk to people about, uh, we have a heart plan that helps people through, a, you know, a, a process of discovering their heart's desire. And you would think, you know, people would get the book and the next thing they want to do is just jump on this and let's, let's define our heart's desire and our destiny and really nail this thing down. And people are not prone to, to be that authentic. Okay, that, that's, a, that's a hill to climb up, to, to be that transparent with one another and with God and with ourselves. I mean, we've, we've all got some internal baggage of, you know, why we're not pursuing some of those heart's desires. And, and it's all because, in general, we, we've got a bad experience. I mean, we've got a We've got a hard experience that opposes that direction, and that has to be healed before we can take a step toward the real thing. Well, hey, John, take some time and walk us through that heart plan, how you get over some of those limiting beliefs and mindsets and, and move into you know, understanding uh, what your heart's desires are, and then maybe some stories about people that have done that and how that's lived out in their lives. Um, briefly, it's simple. most coaching is just, you know, What's your life vision? What's your purpose? What are you shooting for? What are the goals that go with that? Um, what are, uh, you know, we use uh, affirmations and um, all the way to cash flow. 
okay, all the way to a business plan and cash flow. So we try to connect the dots. And I think the most important step, uh, we call it heart boundaries or heart codes. When Once we try, and it's sort of an iterative process. So if I ask you, okay, what's your, you know, What's your destiny? What, why are you here on earth? What's your greatest kingdom purpose? You might not get that exactly right on the first pass, okay? <laughs> it might, that might unfold, you know, in terms of discussion. And typically our coaching occurs over a month or six weeks, and it's like a half a dozen sessions that take an hour and a half each. That's about the price tag. And the most important part is once we kind of say – you know, dialogue about, okay, what's the destiny? What's the direction? Um, for I'll, I'll use one example. Uh, one brother I was talking to is from Texas. He wanted to build a Bible college. He was selling insurance, uh, making about 50000 a year, and it wasn't going all that great. And he wanted to build a Bible college, which, you know, <laughs> for hundreds of people, you know. I, so I, I just told him, you're talking about $5 bucks to build a building and staff it to do a Bible college, which you do not have. So why don't we think about, you know, you can do that in the future once you get the money, but instead of pursuing something that isn't going to really come true, you know, what else you got? And so uh, he had been in sort of a fast food franchise and he had failed a couple of businesses. Okay. So he wasn't real keen on that, that idea, but as we, and, and honestly, this coaching process, um, you know, we dealt with a few heart boundaries, that kind, that kind of stuff. But it didn't feel like, you know, we were hitting a home run, okay? And uh, he, was, he was driving one day, and he found a, a, a Golden Chick franchise uh, for sale, called up the franchise owner. And, and he decided to get back in that business. It's like Golden Chick is in Texas, in, in that part of the country, and it's kind of like... Uh, you know, what's the other, uh, Colonel Sanders? Colonel Sanders, Chick-fil-A. Yeah, on that variety. Yeah. Okay, fast, fast, fast food chicken is the theme. And so he, he talked to the, the owner and had an opportunity to buy two of those that a guy was sort of disenchanted with. And uh, so he went for it, got a loan through the Small Business Administration and, uh, and started up those two uh, Chick-fil-A franchise. Just felt like, you know, that was something that he could do, wanted to do, and that there was sort of a divine appointment when he saw these stores and went and talked to the franchise owner. Well, he has since built, and this was about it, right at two years ago, I would say, maybe a hair more. He's building his sixth restaurant right now. And, uh, you know, his cash flow is, you know, pushing 100000 a month, not uh, 50000 a year. Okay. And, and he's got also, he's still got a vision for the Bible college, still got a vision for doing uh, ministry. Uh, he went to Poland with me uh, a year ago. And um, so that, that is what's, that, that's the potential that's in people to, uh, to turn that kind of a corner when they really allow themselves to, you know, just flow out of their own hearts. Back to the coaching process you know one of the keys is you know what's the what's in your heart that's holding you back and that's something that's not easily canned i mean dialoguing with people two things happen one when they touch the real thing about their dream or their vision or the things that god's put in their heart 
when they say it, you can kind of tell prophetically that it's real. And if they say something that's not real, you can also kind of tell that prophetically. That No, that's, that's not it. Same way with heart boundaries. When you, when you sort of survey the things that are holding people back in terms of, you know, unforgiveness is one, relationships is one, uh, you know, the things that, that cause our hearts to turn away from uh, the dream that God is, is usually a bad experience. You know, not necessarily unforgiveness can be something that's totally uh, apart from anything that's our fault. Okay, just something that happened and our heart interprets that thing in history and, and then we sort of project it on everything in the future. And we have to find those things and, and get them healed in order for that person to be courageous enough to pursue the, the Joshua-esque uh, possession of their land because it takes courage it takes bravery and um, that's that's the key so in the case of the client that you were coaching his bad experience with fast food really kind of clo- with the fast food franchise in the past really closed that door in his heart sure but yet I mean, at the you- same time though yet at the same time though ultimately that is what has taken him up to that next level sure and I mean, once you have a failure like that, you you kind of come to the conclusion that God must not have wanted me to do that anymore because it failed so miserably. <laughs> That's the heart belief that comes out of those kinds of experiences is that I'm not doing that again. I can't afford it. It's too crushing emotionally. And so there's this vow in our hearts and, and we all have, now, I mean, no, nobody has uh, a history that doesn't have some of those experiences. And, and uh, the fact is that, you know, you, the, other, the other Western bias that we have is that, you know, we can make logical decisions. And, you know, we just look at the facts. We look at the possibilities. You know, coaching is this way, too. <laughs> and and we, we just draw a logical conclusion and we go forward. You know, we read the Bible verses. We look at what makes sense and then we just go do it. But the fact is, everything we do really comes out of our hearts. And, and we use our minds to justify that. And, and it's, not, it's not, you know, like enlightened reasoning. That's not how we work. We do things out of the depths of our heart, our subconscious, and, and, we, and the rationale for doing them, we invent afterwards right out of our minds. <laughs> and, you know, you would, you know, we in the West won't even acknowledge that that's true. That's, that's how difficult it is to sort of make the transition, that we operate out of our hearts and we think we operate out of our minds, and it's, it's not really true. So what has been effective, John, when you're working with these guys? I love in your blog post, Choose Yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a quote in here, other men and women are not going to choose you. You have That's the wake-up call. You have to choose yourself, which really what you're talking about is changing your mindset, changing the reference points in your past and how you're thinking about uh, the future, how you're viewing yourself. What are some effective tools for people that you've worked with to really start to make that transformation? Well, one thing is to that it's everything is not all a spiritual dynamic, okay? I mean, it's getting connected with our hearts, dealing with uh, past heart experiences, you know, fixing the projections on the future. 
that's foundational. But cash flow is something that we all live with, <laughs> and and you cannot ignore that. Okay, I, I would say you know if there's one kingdom message that the church needs to hear, that Christians need to hear, is that you're not going to do anything in the Christ, in the kingdom for free. Okay, everything costs money. And, and if we, if we want to be effective in changing the world, and, you know, theologically, I, I believe, you know, Jesus isn't coming tonight, um, that we're here to fill the earth with his glory. We're here to bless nations. Um, you know, the Great Commission is go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. Okay? We haven't done that yet. And uh, that's our job. And, and like Lance says, you know, we got to conquer seven mountains to do that. So the idea of Christians being involved in politics and the arts and entertainment and uh, government and, you know, business, every area is, is something that, you know, was not on my theological plate. So just the idea that uh, we are not too spiritual to be involved in business or politics or entertainment and that that's our calling that yes some of us are called to be pastors some of us are called to be on church staff it's about two percent the rest of us are called to go out into the world and make a difference and that to me that's so simple and and yet so counter to to what most of us as christians are actually doing and i i was i spent three decades of my life christian life believing that business and uh, politics were too dirty to waste my time on and I was wrong. I've had to change and repent. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, work. I, I've done a lot of work in the political area, and it always struck me that uh, if somebody wasn't completely in line with your beliefs theologically, yeah. you wouldn't support them or you wouldn't get behind them, which meant somebody being elected who was 180 degrees out in everything that they did with the decisions they were going to be making, what they were voting on. So... It gets back to some of the filters that you're talking about from religion, from religion, and 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 uh, just how we've been raised. How do we get past that? You know, I think if uh, let me give you an example. Poland is 98 percent Catholic. We've been going there for four years, and uh, the the evangelical and charismatic community in Poland is relatively small by comparison, and and everybody that's saved has come out of a Catholic background. And been and everybody has a bad experience in in church and in communism, <laughs> you know. So there are no people with you know <laughs> pleasant backgrounds over there, and uh, so you, you've got this you know sort of melting pot, uh, you know, a big theological mess of impurity and compromise and people that are in religion but not saved, and some are in religion but are saved. You know, it's a mess. But when you, when you see what God's doing from a kingdom standpoint, all those theological distinctions, you know, sort of take their appropriate perspective. And you realize that God is pulling people out of every sector, preparing people in advance to build his kingdom. And, and so you can see movement in politics, in culture, in education, in entertainment. Uh, you can see... People, imperfect people working in the kingdom and and they're not necessarily in church they're 
They're just people that God's plucking out of culture to make a difference. And even people that are unsaved have this passion to to participate in the kingdom, which is almost unexplainable to me <laughs> theologically. <laughs> but when if I take if I touch unsaved people and just talk to them about their heart's desires and don't try to correct their religious issues, they are drawn to me personally and to the Lord. And and many of those people get saved. That that doesn't mean that there's not some you know, some maturity issues to overcome in their Christian walk. I'm not saying that. It's not a magic process. I'm just saying the the key to kingdom evangelism is touching heart's desires. That people that have no hunger for church and really no hunger for God have this have God's desires in their heart. And if you touch those desires they feel loved by you and they also sort of reconcile with themselves and they start to 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 feel God's love they start to love themselves and and they're then they're wide open to the kingdom wide open to Jesus and and those people get saved and they plug right into their kingdom destiny so you're really talking about serving people right where they're at yeah yeah i mean the first step isn't to you know, make sure all their theological dots are connected. The first step is to find out, you know, what what's the nerve that they carry in their hearts that we can touch prophetically that activates them, that causes them to come alive. You know, if we can if we can touch that nerve, they will come to Jesus. That that's my um, theological perspective. And let me give you this one story. I didn't, I, you know, I haven't always known this. I stumbled into this stuff kind of by accident, okay? In 2010, we were in a church pastored by Andre Stepanov in Warsaw called uh, Storehouse. And um, we're doing a business conference. We don't speak Polish. We had four guys there. And uh, they, we, we assumed they were all members of the church. Well, there was one architect in the church that invited about 40 unsaved people. We didn't know that. So I'm going through the stuff in Releasing Kings, which is very theological. And they had a worship service before that. Okay, so it's a normal church service. We thought we had all all Christians. And um, so I go for an hour and a half or two hours talking about those sort of theological implications of uh, kingdom. And uh, when we're done, I turn it back over to the pastor and he leads an altar call, which really surprised me. <laughs> and uh, so as, as soon as he's done praying, he turns it back over to us and says, okay, let's go ahead and pray for people. And so the four of us each had an interpreter and we're praying for people and they all lined up and they all wanted to be prayed for. This is about 200 or 150, something like that. So we're praying for people for a good hour. And uh, one by one, we're noticing not everybody's saved. And so we just invited them, to, you know, would you like to get saved? And they said, yeah. So we would pray with them, you know, one by one. Now, these are four business guys, not not white-shoed evangelists, okay? <laughs> and when we're done, about 35 people got saved. And, and those 35 people met on Fridays for lunch in Warsaw for um, really the last four years. I mean, they met last night, um, the, the core group of those people that got saved. And, and they have led more people to the Lord uh, since then. And so it... When I saw that happen, you know, no, 35 people had not gotten saved in my ministry as a pastor ever. <laughs> so, 
So I'm on the plane ride home through tears, you know, trying to figure out what happened. And it was probably a month later that I understood from the Lord that, you know, that's the gospel of the kingdom. You know, when you invite people into their heart's desires and and uh, they feel invited to become themselves, that is the gospel of the kingdom. It's not repent, you're a dirty, wicked, filthy sinner who's, you know, all your righteousness looks like the, the uh, filthy rags on a camel's knee filled with pus and everything, you're, you know, that God has wired people and he's inviting them out of his love into the kingdom. And that's really what Jesus did when, when he would reach out to the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Sure. He would meet them where they were at, yeah. pour into them, and that naturally would, would bring about repentance. And they, yeah. would just, they, they would feel that call because, after all, the scriptures say it's the goodness and kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Yeah. yeah. He, he's, he's way more gracious and, and way more loving than we give him credit for. <laughs> well, you know what? I love what you're talking about too, John. I'm working with a, a mastermind group right now of a number of CEOs. And one of the things that we're focused on is how do we go to the people that work with us and for us and serve them where they're at, find out their dreams and their passions, what they want to accomplish in life and facilitate that, mentor them, sow into them. And the results of that, uh, both in just the productivity of the company, the bottom line, the culture, the you can just feel the energy when you walk into some of these companies of the, as these leaders have just made some of these small changes of of you know this kingdom perspective and the actual results that it can have. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we have a category called kingdom corporations in our blog, so I started writing newsletters on that theme, ex- exactly what you're saying, and the idea of of uh, approaching employees from the standpoint of their hearts, finding out, you know, how has God wired you? What can we do to tap that nerve in our job situation? You know, where can we find God in this company? Where can we find the kingdom calling that causes people to resonate? And, And once you touch that prophetically in a corporation, you're touching the key to marketing. You're touching the key to employee morale. You're touching the key to productivity. Okay, that's a huge open door um, to just to use kingdom concepts inside a regular corporation. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm working as an engineer in a company right now that doesn't pay any attention to their employees, and uh, it's tragic. I mean, that they have a huge turnover rate that doesn't have to be that way. I mean, they recently sent out a um, was a call those monkey surveys or whatever (laughs) one of the questions is do you feel loved i mean it was laughable the 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 impersonal nature of the management structure is just pathetic (laughs) did you you answer that say no yeah of course i did (laughs) (laughs) it's uh, you know i had it a few i explained it too Well, you know, as we wrap up, John, what are some of the key thoughts you'd like to leave people just about this kingdom standpoint in their lives and getting in touch with, you know, the passions that God created in them? You know, we went to Toronto in the 90s. We're familiar with Brownsville. I'm, you know, I got saved in sort of the charismatic revival of the 70s, saw the prophetic movement in the 80s. You know, historically, 
uh, I'm old enough to have seen some things happen in the church. And generally, we have this bias toward, you know, God sweeping in in revival and changing cities and changing churches or whatever. And um, the reality is that it's happening uh, through our cultures. And, and it doesn't look exactly like revival as we thought of, you know, God sort of sweeping in and doing it all himself. God is, is moving through the hearts of people, you know, one individual, one company, one section of culture at a time. And, uh, and one of our uh, affiliate coaches is a sixth grade teacher in a school. And he's got a huge open door with other teachers and in his classroom and in prior students uh, for coaching, for, you know, using kingdom principles. Uh, everything we talk about is equally applicable in a school as it is in the business culture we just discussed. It works in every, every segment of culture because uh, that's how people work. We operate out of our hearts. And when we tap the, the desire that God wrote in our hearts, that, that is the key to personal motivation and, and that's the key to the kingdom. And that, it's a movement, okay, worldwide that, you know, in, if, if you want to look at it a little bit negatively, people are no longer content to just sit in church and fulfill, you know, sort of the vision of that local church. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a negative way to look at it. But the positive way to look at it is people are finding the kingdom and, uh, and they're going out into the culture and they're changing the world. And um, that's, that's like my new definition of revival. I, I'm no longer content with the concept of rev rev revival. My, I mean, my heart is oriented toward reformation now, that, that we are here literally to change the world. And, and that's the call of God on our lives. That, that's how exciting this is. Man, that is outstanding. Hey, John, how, what is the best way for people to get in touch with you? Um, you know, the uh, the books that you've read, the blogs that you have, and also the, just the incredible tools that you have to just further equip people based on this conversation. We've, we've got a website. It's called releasingkings.com. And uh, the there are about 400 newsletters that you can search by topic. And uh, also we have a, a coaching page that explains that process. Uh, we've got some affiliate coaches in, in Poland and the States. And uh, so we're trying to get that off the ground. Um, but basically everything is on the website. All right. Thank you, John. That was excellent. Thanks, John. Yeah, I enjoyed this. This interview wasn't able to pack in all we wanted to touch on, and so you can be sure we'll bring John back again in the future. But in the meantime, I recommend you go check out his website, subscribe to his weekly newsletters, get his book, Releasing Kings, his other book, Desire to Destiny. We'll have all those links, plus a lot more, in our show notes, eternalleadership.com slash 048. Now, I've been subscribing to the Releasing Kings newsletter since October of 2014, and I've found it to be one of the few newsletters that I actually read. Plus, the great thing about his website is you can go there and you can search the newsletters by topic. So if you'd like to get fed on creativity or initiative or having a kingly mindset or running a kingdom corporation or any of the other topics that he has listed, you can check him out. Just go to our show notes, eternalleadership.com slash 048, and we'll have all those links there. 
A special thank you for those of you that are introducing us to your colleagues and your friends. We saw a 41% increase in our March downloads and a 35% increase in April. And I'm confident that it's because you and our listening audience are helping us spread the word. Thank you. You can connect with us via Facebook, facebook.com slash eternal leadership through our private LinkedIn group or through Twitter at John Ramstead at eternal leaders or myself at CoolBeans 59 Thanks for helping us get the word out. And special thank you to Justin Jeffrey for his editing and production help on this episode. Next time on Eternal Leadership, Dr. Lance Wallnow. But when God got practical and said, okay, when you cross over, you're going to take over their fields. You're going to engage things in warfare and you're going to dispossess them in the physical as well as in the spirit. At that point, they balked. Can I suggest to you that if that was the pattern in the Old Testament, then the last day's generation is probably going to be tested with this one question. What is it God wants to do that's so big and so vast that we don't feel qualified and as though it's too big for us to accomplish? We're featuring a clip from Lance's inspiring series, Doing Business Supernaturally 101. This is a series I've listened to numerous times since I purchased it and can't recommend it highly enough. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder. And thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.